Ukraine calling. Hello and welcome to the podcast from Romashka Radio. This is the English language podcast called Ukraine Calling. And our today's guest is actually one of the voices that you may hear or at least imagine when you hear the word Ukraine. She is Yulia Troyan. She is a military volunteer since 2014, and she's also a specialist in technical assistance. But why she is one of the voices? Because she also is a translator for the public organization or non-governmental organization called Vidkriti Media Ukraine, the Open Media of Ukraine, so let's start first from this open media of Ukraine and what do you do there? So basically that's an honor for me to contribute to such a lovely and onerous initiative of our veterans. So the founders of this organization are mostly either veterans of uh, the Defense of Ukraine forces or Maidan. And basically all of them are deployed in action. Practically all of them are deployed in action as of the moment. So they count on the support of volunteers to cover up their back. And the organization is uh, aimed to sustain and support the independent um, journalism in Ukraine, which is very important to give them a say, to give them a voice. So it uh, basically unites uh, Mojo, the so-called Mojo journalists, uh, people who are using uh, modern technologies to express their view and their author's position on the activities, on the current developments, and on the most recent news from the grassroots. And the organization was founded by a bunch of uh, patriots uh, so most of them modern journalists, uh, including uh, Mr. Zolkin, Mr. Gutman, and the other colleagues, which you may uh, see and reach out to via the website. That's omu.org.ua. And they provide most recent and up-to-date uh, news and basically fresh facts, like uh, freshly baked stories from the grassroots that's uh, very important because although the traditional media they have some time lag and Mojo is a tool that provides the most fresh and up-to-date information which is very important. But when I talked to Dmitro, uh, he told me that uh, understanding the security requirements he and his colleagues may also wait for some time with uh, publishing some news. That's so true. But it depends on the news, actually. So if you have uh, something that's... Uh, so you have clear and strict regulations regarding what can be uh, disclosed, what cannot be disclosed, and that's applicable mostly to the uh, conflict zone, so to the um, line of active warfare. Regarding other relevant news or news that are allowed to be published, uh, there is no limitation for that. 
Why did they feel that they have to have a media platform of their own? I actually talked about this with Metro, but we talked in Ukrainian. So please be a good interpreter and explain to us. Well, to the best of my knowledge, uh, that's my humble opinion. From what I know, that's a pathway. So traditional media, they always have editorial policies. And the aim of the OMU organization, Open Media Ukraine, is to provide unbiased views. They're not editing uh, in any way their contributions, their contributors. So it's what the person thinks, what the person believes, and what the person is committed to. And that's the actually the core of this organization. You get a live opinion from the person in place there, and you get the most, uh, let's say, uh, unedited information you possibly can. Yulia Troyan, a military volunteer from 2014 and a specialist in technical assistance, is our interlocutor in Ukraine calling the English language podcast from Romanski Radio. But she's also a skilled interpreter, simultaneous interpreter at that. And of course, because she translates for the open media of Ukraine, she's a translator as well. Uh, to which extent do you interfere with the material? Not as an editor, but as a translator. Well, basically, that's my volunteer contribution because we have to support our defenders. And that's what I can do and what I was trained to do, though. I do not always do that now because I'm a bit shifted from this direction. But if you cover any uh, piece of information and if you translate it or interpret it, uh, a sign of a good interpreter or translator is that you don't alter it. So the uh, reader or listener should perceive it as if pronounced in their own language. And that's what I try to do. I'm trying to do my best in that. Uh, you say readers or listeners. What about viewers? Actually, the uh, OMU, the Open Media Ukraine website, has a lot of video content because uh, most of the contributors are also video bloggers, and it's a good uh, way to convey information. Uh, we are covering some of the videos with interpretation, but not all of them. Uh, Mr. Zolkin has uh, some of his videos interpreted and some other colleagues, but we are expanding that feature. We are hoping to, let's say, cover it 100%. In, within some time, I hope we will be able to cover the entirety of all the videos on the website. Do you dub the videos or do you subtitle them? Well, it depends. Uh, it depends uh, on the, the video itself. Uh, so dubbing was the first option we uh, tried to use. And uh, subtitling is a faster option. So sometimes we opt for that because it delivers the content quicker to the audience. Was it your initiative or did Metro ask you to do this for the open media of Ukraine? Well, actually, uh, I think it was an initiative of Metro and the other members and also the chief editor, Anatoly Gunkov, uh, the chief editor of the Open Media Ukraine website. And we're always happy to help. So if there is anything, we're always like, Who's, who's covering that? Me. That's, that's our approach. 
But when you say we, whom do you mean beside yourself? Well, there are other colleagues, also colleagues who are residing abroad, who are supporting these as volunteers. Of course, they're doing it to the extent that they can, to the extent that they have the ability to be involved because everybody has their family obligations and so on. But the thing is, uh, it's a collective effort and the product which we receive is quite a quality one. And I hope it's going to be better, of course. Wow. There is no limit to perfection. Yeah, no, no means of avoiding this. Uh, how often do you receive feedback from abroad or from Ukraine, but from those people who prefer to listen or read in English? Well, quite frequently, uh, they want more. They always want more. They sometimes like see something freshly baked in Ukrainian and they use Google Translate and they're asking, when are you going to deliver the translation? And therefore, we're sourcing all kinds of technical assistance. So the project itself was founded as part of technical uh, assistance and uh, it was uh, contributed, to uh, contributed by several donors. So uh, we're hoping to continue receiving technical assistance. We're bidding. Um, heavily on other opportunities and um, we would be happy to connect to donors and other media organizations to do like consortium bidding to cover a bigger scope because everybody is now interested in Ukraine. We're on the cutting edge. That's basically what the world would like to, to listen to and to hear from. And uh, basically the more the better. So we are hoping to get a bigger, let's say, coverage. Before we switch to some other very important things that you do, may I reveal a, a sort of a personal information about our pre-recording conversation? Um, yes, for sure. Please yes, when we talked with Yulia for the first time, she said, yes, I am an interpreter. I would say a qualified interpreter, but obviously she is too modest. And she said, and I'm going to enjoy this for the rest uh, two or three years that we as interpreters have left before us. Why did you say that? Well, thank you for that appreciation, Andre. Um, actually, we've uh, entered the phase, I mean, not we personally, like you're my colleague, not just us, but everybody in this uh, interpretation and translation field. We've entered a very new and interesting phase, though challenging, uh, of uh, human-machine interface in interpretation. And from my background, when I was very young, I was starting to like provide simultaneous interpretation at uh, high-level events. It was very challenging because you did have only paper sources and whatever the clients preferred to share with you. Uh, so you had a paper dictionary and that's it. And for simultaneous interpretation, it's a matter of milliseconds. So you decide on the spot uh, how to, let's say, uh, turn the flow of your thinking and turn the flow of your speech over to cover uh, what the, uh, the speaker has said. And now we have all those lovely instruments like, uh, for example, digital uh dictionaries and digital translation platforms and we are seeing the emergence of other platforms like for example the gpt chat and also zoom that we're using now it has a function of 
uh, subtitles and you can also uh, see them translated. So we are now talking in, uh, speaking in uh, English, for example, but uh, somebody can view it in Chinese or French or German. So the language they're more comfortable with. Yeah, of course. But yesterday I was watching one of the films made recently in Ukraine and I wasn't aware that uh, it was not subtitled by the waters, but this was an automated translation. And of course, when one of the speakers mentioned Ivan Franco in uh, what's uh, the clause, I don't know, Ivana Franca, it was translated as, as Frank or Frank has said. <laughs> so I think that there still will be place for people like us <laughs> in the future. Anyway, you say when you were very young, I don't know what you mean by very young, but certainly in 2014 you were nine years younger than now. Can you Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. See, I can also calculate. Uh, harking back to this year, what made you become a military volunteer and what is actually meant by this because different people may perceive this in different ways please explain well it's an obligation it's um, it's an honor to defend your country and it's an honor to support the defenders of your country and it's a, an obligation it's not an option or a choice uh, it's something when your country is attacked it's something that you just have to do that's the right thing to do and that's the only right thing to do uh, so you have to uh, set a little bit aside whatever you have nagging you, uh, like you should care of your job and your family and things like that. But nothing of that is going to sustain if you don't defend your country. What sort of job did you have then? Well, basically the same. The same. I uh, was involved in consulting in technical assistance projects. I did some interpretation as well. So it helped me a bit because I was already aware of uh, things like uh, tactical aspects and medical aspects like tourniquets and effects. So I had some glimpse already on that. That helped me a bit. What were your immediate duties as a military volunteer or should I say your self-appointed duties? Well, it's not self-appointed. Uh, you are... Um, committing to subordination of some uh, military unit. And um, the thing is that you have a commander and the commander is requesting for something. And you tell them either it's feasible uh, or feasible in the, uh, let's say, midterm perspective or not feasible at all. But they, this was not considered as option. So we were like trying to do it like either very soon or in the midterm perspective. So if you want something like from the possible, uh, ask a military volunteer and they're going to bring it. Hearing that you speak English so well, I presume that in the course of your duties as a military volunteer, you meet some foreigners as well. And uh, what are the things that strike you most in those people? And what is your presumption that they are impressed with you the most? Well, I cannot speak for them. I, for I sure. say presumption. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, uh, basically, they're um, they're just the same as our guys. So I meet uh, a lot of it. Uh, it was different in 2014, 2015, 
and especially like 2015, 2018, it was not the case. There were not so many foreigners. But starting from February last year, uh, a lot of people felt inclined and a lot of people felt uh, obligated to go and at least train our uh, soldiers, our defenders, because they were aware that a lot of them, they were just patriots. They did not have any military training at all. So anyone with military background was warmly welcome to provide training. The whole world supports Ukraine. And it's not just like Canada or uh, the United States or Great Britain or uh, France or Portugal. So the countries of Finland or Sweden, the countries that are here and sort of interested in, um, in the turmoil that is ongoing at the moment. But a lot of quite unexpected countries like Australia, New Zealand, like uh, South American countries. So you would never tell uh, the first time you see the person and they do not speak yet to you. So you would never tell where they're from. There can be a lot of options. Even Israel has now joined us. So we're very grateful for that. This list of the countries leads me to a, a side question. What was the most unexpected English accent or accent in English that you met in the course of your duties as a military volunteer, not as an interpreter? Well, they mostly speak very good English, at least professionally. I mean, it's not about like Keats or uh, Edgar Poe or uh, I don't know, any kind of classic English, but they're uh, very good at the terminology. Uh, they're very fluent in their conversations. They get together with our guys very well. So I hope uh, more, more trainers are going to come to support us. And uh, judging from what is going on, judging from what the assistance is um, programmed and planned, uh, definitely we're going to receive more uh, trainers and more support, let's say, support and advisory uh, personnel. Yulia Trajan, who is a specialist in technical assistance, who is a military volunteer since 2014 and who is a skilled interpreter slash translator, is our interviewee in this uh, installment of Ukraine Calling, the English language podcast on Hromadsky Radio. And uh, remember in 2014 and uh, the month of February last year, 2022, there's of course quite a difference in the perception in the world of these years and of the dangers that arose. Uh, what do you think was different from 2014 in 2022, that the reaction was so larger in scope. Do you mean different for us or for the rest of the world? For the rest of the world, for the rest of the world. That's a good question. I think that's uh, something they banged their hats once against, and then they realized it took some time. It took some time to realize the scale and the scope of the danger they're facing. So it's not, uh, they uh, became aware suddenly, they, they revealed that it's not about Ukraine as such, or a piece of Ukraine, like Crimea or a military base, 
which Crimea is. But uh, it's about the security of the not entire region, but the whole world um, and the possibility of many, many negative scenarios uh, and the, the probability of those negative scenarios in case of non-interference of other countries uh, in the form of support or arms or personnel, they were quite high. And uh, I guess there are people who have uh, quite a good uh, background and there are think tanks who are calculating possible scenarios. So I'm sure everybody knows of them. I, I will not like list them uh, at the moment, but they're working out uh, and there are so-called military games, if you have heard of this. So they have calculated all those scenarios and they suddenly realized that they are in immediate danger. And that's how they started to support Ukraine because they suddenly felt they're part of it, you know. And in 2014, it was pretty much the same for us. But uh, it was like uh, you had uh, a very, um, let's say, dubious. Um, situation when there was uh, a catastrophe in your world and there was this other peaceful world which just lived happily with their life and they pursued with uh, oblivious everyday matters and it was not even covered on their uh, media which brings us back to the question of uh, the importance of unbiased information and unbiased media and um, let's say first-hand first-hand information because we didn't have organizations like open media ukraine at that particular moment we only had let's say traditional media this is not exactly true but of course you cannot and i cannot know all the media that we had at that time for instance our open media ukraine was a very pleasant and very useful discovery for me a couple of weeks or a month or so ago, although I heard of Metro Hutman uh, as a very interesting video blogger and uh, a very dedicated battlefield medic, but uh, I was not aware of the platform that he and his friends have found. It's not just Metro Gutman. There are a lot of colleagues like Yuri Butusov and Anatoly Gunkov and Leonid Maslov and Leonid Ostaltsev. So they're uh, quite famous in the Facebook and blogger and Patriot community. So it's not a one person show, though Dmitro is one of the most famous ones, but uh, there is a bunch of people with different. Um, it's like, you know, a puzzle. Everybody has a piece of truth. And when you get them together, you get a bigger truth, which is more provides more information. Yeah, I uh, mentioned Metro several times because, first of all, he made quite an impression on me first when I saw his video blogs, then when we talked. And uh, I recommend uh, those of our listeners who understand Ukrainian to find uh, our conversation on Radio after, of course, you have listened to this English language podcast with uh, Yulia Troyan and listen to Dmitro himself. So far, from what I hear from Yulia, only corroborates what Dmitro has said. So you may actually train your Ukrainian comparing your notes and what you hear from Yulia and what 
you will hear from Dmitro in this recording. But uh, coming back to us and our reaction, I think that you remember how, let's say, since 2017, probably 2018, even the domestic interest, even the domestic concern for what was happening in the country started to go down. And one of the phrases that we used even in Ukraine was the war in the east of Ukraine. I think that by saying this, we try to distance ourselves from the imminent and present danger or to distance the danger from ourselves. And what worries me, what has been worrying me for a couple of months already, is that now I seem to observe the same trend in our uh, internal mood. Before the Russians started again this wave of uh, missile attacks on major Ukrainian cities, yes, there is an awareness of the war, but it's again somewhere there in the east and in the south. How do you view this situation? Uh, Scott, uh, the Ukraine fatigue for our Western partners uh, because they have their own problems to attend to and they're also a bit distracted and they're calling it the Ukraine conflict. But uh, from our perspective, the uh, perspective uh, inside Ukraine, the trend is a bit less than um, in the previous years. So like 2016, 2017, it was like uh, war in the east of Ukraine. And that was coined by some very influential people, uh, people investing a lot of money, let's say, in this uh, concept, because it was not an accident. But every volunteer or people's movement, it lasts like three months. And then when people get exhausted, they just tend to switch to other more immediate needs, which are closer to themselves. These days, it's a bit different because Russia cannot uh, let us alone. They're keeping their bombing activities up and their um, other terrorist activities up. And that keeps everybody in Taunus. But uh, what I would uh, think is uh, an immediate need at this moment is to support those people who are defending. Uh, because it's a very um, bad, to say the least, it's a very bad situation when a person comes back from the front line and they come back into a totally ignorant environment. And that refers both to their family, to their neighbors, and to the neighborhood like their city or region in general because that creates a disruption of the world, which is very um, traumatic for their mind. It's more traumatic than seeing somebody killed in front of your eyes at the front line, because there, this is normal. You perceive it as a normal thing. You are at war, uh, the enemy is shelling, like they are the bastards, somebody from your kin is killed. Okay, nothing doing, you couldn't help it. That's it, we go on and we defend. But when you go back and you can see the attitude, like we never sent you there, 
that's breaking your mind, that's breaking your psychic capacities, and you just break down and you could resort to some like compensating behaviors like violence or drinking or other uh, things we would prefer to avoid. So the most important thing is psychological connection to combatants and also military volunteers as well, because they also have some kind of traumatic experience, which would be good to compensate for uh, wherever they're based initially, like their home or their home uh, venue, their hometown. Um, and then it's kind of like we're stronger together. That's the, the motto of the European Union, but that's true. We're stronger together. So when a person comes and they see that they're supported, that they're in a friendly environment, that their values are shared, that if they have any abrupt immediate needs, then everybody is there to help them, then they're good. They're balanced, their psychic uh, abilities are not harmed in any way. And if anything, if they have any problem, they're gonna come to you and that can be resolved. Anything can be resolved if we're together, basically. Yulia, several times you have said our defenders, and I appreciate this, but how acutely you realize that you are a defender as well. And for instance, you are my defender, although we came to know each other probably a week ago. But for many, many years, you've been my defender also. That's an honor and an obligation. Okay. So, uh, I would talk to Yulia Trian for many, many minutes or probably even uh, quadrants of time more, but serious research shows that the podcast should have its limit. So, we are finishing this conversation. Uh, however, before I will make the final announcement, what do you want to tell those who are listening, apart from what you have already said? Well, um, I would appreciate if we get together uh, also the uh, organizations who are covering the information front. So uh, major or smaller international media organizations, uh, which uh, would be happy to connect with Open Media Ukraine to form alliances and to withstand the uh, psychological warfare and the informational warfare, which is no less important than the actual combat, uh, maybe even more. So we could put our hands together and we could uh, at least cover this front with, let's say, an iron curtain from our enemy. Thank you very much. Yulia Trojan was our interviewee in this installment of uh, Ukraine Calling, the English language podcast from Romatska Radio. And she is a skilled interpreter. She is a uh, selfless military volunteer. And she is presumably a very good specialist in technical assistance. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. Thank you work. for having me.